independent journalists have been doing an incredible job covering the January 6th trials because the corporate media, well, they're just they're missing literally everything. And it's intentional, of course. Uh, but there's there's a reporter who I strongly rely on in D.C. who will give you the most non-biased shakedown of what's actually happening in the courtrooms since they're not being televised. And uh, man, he is out with an incredible report. It's completely debunking everything the DOJ has said during the Oath Keepers trial. And he caught them in a lie. Uh, Steve Baker, the Blaze uh, contributor, has an incredible piece coming out. And let's just take a little snippet peek of uh, a tease that they just released. And then we'll bring, we'll bring him right in. Private First Class, Harry Dunn. From the United States Capitol Police. Officer Harry Dunn acted with remarkable courage and valor to defend both our institutions and our people. The Capitol Police officer assigned to the protective detail of then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi appears to have given false testimony. This is perjury brought in to corroborate the testimony of another Capitol Police officer. It is imperative that we establish the truth of that day. It's a Capitol Police officer who just took the stand in the Oath Keepers trial. Sentenced to 18 years in prison. Generations to come will think of him. It never happened. The way he unpacks the stories, I don't conflate my story. Sounds like something a useful idiot would say. It's a powerful one. Please welcome Steve Baker, the Blaze Media contributor. Steve, you've done an incredible job exposing all of this. There's so many lies and you're you're constantly turning over the, the rocks to find the truth. So thank you for being with us today and thank you for doing your due diligence. Thank you, Brianna. It's good to be back with you. It's good. It's good. It's good to have you on. Steve, I want to get into your latest article regarding Officer Lazarus. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Officer Lazarus, uh, he is the Nancy Pelosi security detail. Uh, you've caught him in what appears to be a straight out lie and you've written about it on the blaze. Uh, you've pretty much scoped through all of the surveillance footage available at the Capitol from January 6th. And Officer Lazarus issued testimony during the Oath Keepers trial. And in that testimony, he, he pretty much said he saw something that we now know based on the timestamps on this video that you now have obtained that he didn't see what he said he saw. He, he claimed that he saw an interaction with Harry Dunn, Officer Harry Dunn, and the Oath Keepers. And they vilified these Oath Keepers. And from what I know from talking to Ken Harrelson, who's an Oath Keeper who was on, was at, on trial during this time, as well as um, Kelly Meggs, who we have a statement from, and we'll get to that shortly, um, this never happened. And now you have the actual video evidence that proves that these people lied during their trial. Uh, talk our audience through what you found and, and what you're looking to continue exposing. Yeah, it very simply started uh, with me a year ago when we were uh, covering the Oath Keep, the first Oath Keepers trial. And this was in uh, September, October, November, all the way through uh, you know, a Thanksgiving of last year, nine weeks of a trial. In fact, I'm staring at the courthouse right now over the top of my camera here. And the unfortunate thing that happened, not only were innocent people convicted of crimes they did not commit and put some of them in, in, into prison for over a decade. But the Department of Justice 
actually we have caught them suborning perjury from a Capitol Police special agent. And by special agent, he was on the uh, protective uh, or what they call the dignitary protective detail for Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House at the time of January 6th. And he was down in the tunnels uh, of the Capitol escorting senators across and when they evacuated the uh, the Senate chamber. And, and of course, it was during this time that the Oath Keepers came up upon Harry Dunn, Officer Harry Dunn, who then gave a very, very shaky accounting of his interaction with them. And in fact, he has lied because in his first uh, FBI interview, he actually gave a, a favorable account, uh, account of that encounter, saying that the Oath Keepers actually lined up in front of him between him and more agitated protesters. And then Harry was called back in for a second FBI interview in which he completely changed his story. I won't get into the full length of that change, but he did. And he not only changed the story, but then he created something out of thin air that never happened in another place at another time, which we've also been able to look at on video and verify that his stories never uh, never happened as well. So what, what was needed in this trial by the Department of Justice was to bring in a higher-ranking offer officer with a little bit more credibility who works for the Speaker of the House directly, and then maybe he could clean up, corroborate, and and give a little bit more substance to Harry Dunn's shaky testimony and, and indeed his changed, changed testimony. And so that's what they did. So they brought in this agent, David Lazarus, and he just flat out perjured himself on the stand. Uh, there's no other way to, to, to say it because he said that he passed by Harry Dunn and the Oath Keepers. This is from trial transcripts, by the way, and also my own trial notes because I was there when both Dunn and Lazarus testified. He said that he passed by the Oath Keeper Harry Dunn uh, interaction three or four times while he was rescuing staff members out of Nancy Pelosi's offices. The reality is is that when that encounter happened, he was a quarter of a mile away under the tunnels inside Senate office buildings across the street on Constitution Avenue, across across Constitution Avenue, and which you can see right behind me right now over my shoulder. And that is where he was when that encounter started. And so he could not have seen much of it, if at all. So then we, that was the first clue I got was his trial testimony, is that he said that when he heard the shots fired, the shot that killed Ashley Babbitt was when he started heading back. Well, that shot was fired at 2.43 p.m. And the encounter with the Oath Keepers, uh, Ken Harrelson, when he first ran into Harry Dunn at the top of those stairs, that happened at 2.44 so Lazarus said he began to make his way back. So we knew where he was by testimony. So we knew where to look. Now, look, it's a daunting task trying to find a needle in a haystack in these 1,730-something cameras in the, in, in the Capitol. And then we're talking about, uh, you know, 41,000 hours of footage just on January 6th itself. So if you don't know what to look for and where to go, you can't find these types of discrepancies. Well, the the clues were given to us in the trial, given to me in the trial. And so when I got access to that footage, I knew exactly where to go, exactly what to look for. And we found him. And then we tracked him all the way through the tunnels back into the Capitol. And he did not arrive at the scene of where Officer Dunn 
and the Oath Keepers had their encounter until some three and a half, four minutes after it was already over and the Oath Keepers were leaving the building. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is so important too, by the way, and, and thank you, Avery, for putting this up because I want to bring attention to who was on trial during this time. Um, Stuart Rhodes got, I believe it was 18 years in prison. And right. obviously testimony like that, which is which he pretty much demonized these these men, even though Stuart Rhodes wasn't in there. Kelly Meggs and, and Ken Harrelson were, were definitely in the Capitol and they were the center of this false story that he was giving. But it demonized all of them to look like these were hateful people. And as many of you might know, I like I said all the time, when I first started investigating these J6 stories, I was non-biased. I didn't know anything about the Oath Keepers. And when I go around asking uh, people when they refer to the Oath Keepers as a right-wing militant group, I ask them, well, what violent crimes have they ever been accused of committing prior January 6th? The list is zero. I never hear a single example. And so um, it's interesting, too, to hear that the DOJ felt the need to add this uh, Officer Lazarus testimony to their their argument because let's be honest, it's D.C. They were going to be prosecuted before the trial even started based on how biased these juries really are. I don't think they needed this, but they did it anyway. Um, do you, is there a motive as to how they were able to kind of push Officer Lazarus into giving false testimony yet? Or, or is that going to take a little bit more investigative work? No, we've already done the investigative work and we know why they were able to coerce him into giving false testimony, but we're not prepared to roll that out yet. And I'll tell you why, yeah. for legal reasons. Uh, the, yeah. the Lazarus story itself took me a year to develop. It's not going to take that long with part two on the Lazarus story because we have the goods already. We just have to go through the process. And to be honest with you, we're working with Congress in order to secure certain documents because, as you know, uh, Lazarus is protected by the Capitol Police. The Capitol Police are a very, very corrupt organization from the top yeah. down. I'm not impugning all of the frontline officers. I'm not impugning those who do their jobs every day and protecting not only Congress people, but visitors to the Capitol and uh, the tourists and, and such as that. I'm, I'm not impugning them, but I am telling you from the top down, it's a corrupt organization. So we are going through the process of securing the documents we need to reveal Lazarus part two. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to that because there's a lot of questions that need to be answered for this. Um, but mainly the Department of Justice has a lot of those uh, answers that they need to provide because uh, you can't do this. Like, this is America. You cannot sit there and push people to give false testimony during a trial um, just to persuade the jury. And I also think the interesting part in all of this has to be the judge, Judge uh, Mehta, who is a Obama-appointed judge. And um, before sentencing Ken Harrelson, um, he did say, and Ken Harrelson, uh, we had Angel on last week, is an individual who was not political, didn't vote in the election, a very sweet man, served this country proudly in the army, um, was just there to back up his his brothers, and it wasn't anything violent. And he only uh, had his interaction with Officer Dunn when he thought Officer Dunn was going to escalate the issue by potentially opening fire on these protesters, who he admitted were actually being aggressive towards Officer Dunn. And that's why he stepped in and intervened, because he has that training, that military training, to kind of de-escalate these issues. Um, but we talk about this all the time. Um, they they have done Angel and, and Ken Harrelson dirty the DOJ. They continue to go after them. Uh, the, the judge in the case literally said to, to, to Ken before sentencing him, 
I know you're not what the what the prosecutor's trying to make you out to be, what the government's trying to make you out to be. So he knew this, but yet he still added a terrorist enhancement after sentencing Ken. So it's devastating for them. Um, their lives are completely ruined. Steve, is there any way that the DOJ, after your story, uh, all the details merge and they're public, is there any way the DOJ can make up for what they've done to these to these people? Because Yes, they could finally release them from jail, but the damage is already done financially to them. Is What do you see the next steps being after, I guess, after everything comes out? Yeah, there, there is no repairing the damage that's already been done to their lives. I mean, most of these individuals have lost everything. And if not everything, almost everything. I, I, and they've, they've been put through an incredible individual personal horror sacrifice in order to try and hold on to what they have. Uh, those families that have not been already completely broken up and busted up and, and who have lost their homes and such. So for most of them, getting back what they've lost is not going to happen. But there certainly will be, um, I would hope there will be lawsuits uh, that will, uh, that will you know, serve to help them uh, be compensated for some of their loss, if not all of it. But the um, the next steps to your question specifically is we are working with the trial attorneys. There will be some emergency motions filed soon. Uh, there's still a few other pieces of the puzzle that we want to get um, uh, put together to hand them before they make these appellate uh, filings because they're trying to, you know, with this new information, trying to rush this through. Uh, we're also working, as I said, with Congress. Uh, we're working with Congress members directly on this problem. I think there's very strong likelihood that there will be hearings directly related to this. And then in addition to that, as you know, uh, we're working through other um, uh, uh, not only legislative, but um, other state uh, and local uh, remedies as well. And we'll keep that under the, you know, under the vest just for the time being. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's all really important because the damage that's been done, I don't even know if they could even fix the issues. I know a lot of these guys were held in solitary confinement and they're military vets who might have underlying PTSD already. Uh, I'm not hundred percent certain, mm -hmm. but uh, the mental health issues that they've created off of this, I know Stuart Rhodes, I've had a couple of conversations with him. He was held in solitary confinement. Um, and and as as we already know, there there's a lot of issues with that uh, long term. I want to uh, turn to another trial that you're in on, and I think it's quite fascinating because it kind of gives you uh, something to compare yeah. this to. Uh, John Sullivan, you're sitting right now in his trial. That's why you're in D.C. Uh, for those of you who don't know, this is the individual who a lot of people questioned. He has done a lot of Antifa rallies or protests. He's he's be the center of a lot of those but most importantly he was the individual who recorded the shooting of ashley babbitt and he in my in my mind uh and i'll speak on my own behalf on this part but he shot ashley, uh, he shot the images of ashley babbitt laying there and posted it online and so my heart broke because i knew that the they weren't going to be able to deliver notice to her family in time before her family probably saw that on social media um so it was pretty disgusting but he was criminally charged and you're at the trial now and you're sitting there watching this uh you just recently came out with another article as well on the blaze and i'd recommend our audience go there and give it a read because this trial is different from the other ones you've sat on and on um and, and i want you to explain to our audience how this one is so much different than the other ones you sat on steve well, the primary difference is, is this guy is in no way, shape or form a Trump supporter or a MAGA 
person, as it were. Um, he comes from the left. Uh, he has a history of working directly with both BLM and Antifa. Uh, he's out of Utah. Uh, there's so many interesting things about this case which compelled me to come and cover this one because uh, he's one of four uh, African-American brothers who were adopted into a white Mormon family. Um, the father is a, a retired military lieutenant colonel uh, in the Army. And then uh, the two uh, most competitive of the brothers, him and James, they became uh, not only very, very different as they grew up. They grew apart uh, politically, whereas John Sullivan, whose trial I'm attending right now, he he gravitated toward the extreme left, and James apparently uh, gravitated towards uh, being more of a Republican GOP type activist uh, in his politics. And so then <laughs> the story becomes much more convoluted because I'm not sure that either one of them are trustworthy and worth believing in I, any of their stories. Uh, they seem to have a, um, they seem to be both very troubled, not just in terms of their competition and estrangement from each other, but there's a lot going on there uh, in the family and with the, the two brothers particularly. But then we, of course, have John's uh, very um, uh, prolific and well-known activities and actions on January 6th, as you said, he captured, which is probably the key, the most important video of that day, which was the definitive moment when Lieutenant Michael Byrd pulled the trigger of his nine millimeter or 40 millimeter, uh, whatever it was, uh, and he pulled, he pulled the trigger on his handgun and, and killed Ashley Babbitt. Uh, it was, it was um, John's camera that caught that and then, of course, the other side of that is he was actually being tailed that day by a woman by the name of Jade Sacker, who was doing a documentary on the two brothers. So the two brothers had become known to this documentarian even before because of their polarized political activism, because John was active in um, the BLM riots in, the tw you know, in 2020 uh, in Portland, uh, Salt Lake City, uh, L.A., and other uh, 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 Seattle, other places. And then, of course, uh, James was active in Republican politics. So this had become known to this documentarian. So she followed, actually followed John out here to January 6th to document what he was doing at the Capitol. So there's been a tremendous amount of video footage presented in this trial, as you can imagine, not just from John's camera, but Jade's camera. And then of course the CCTV cameras and so many other angles from so many other incidences uh, that they were involved in that day. So it's been a very, very interesting story and it's not even close to being over with, but because as I, as I mentioned, when I first started talking about John Sullivan in the trial, there's, there's so much conspiracy theories around John. Uh, most of them are not founded. Let's be perfectly honest. I mean, he was in he was in the the hot potato situation of the day, January six, and he has been um, linked into every imaginable conspiracy related to the death of Ashley Babbitt. Even uh, even conspiracy theories that say. Uh, she's not dead, that she was a crisis actor herself, and everybody that was in that uh, speaker's lobby interest, uh, entrance were crisis actors. But I'm going to tell your viewers that I, myself, was there that day, and I viewed Ashley Babbitt's dead body with my own eyes. 
I was there, I've seen death before. And when I saw her as she was being taken out of the Capitol and I was filming the gurney being pushed out by EMTs, surrounded by a SWAT team, and I was able to get close up on her and I saw that the life had been gone from her eyes. And I actually, at that moment, uh, as soon as she passed by, I texted um, the, another writer that I was here with and said, there's a lady been shot. She's not going to make it. So I knew she was gone um, before she left the building. And so I'm telling you, she wasn't a crisis actor and it's a tragedy what happened. And a lot of those conspiracy theories, uh, I've been able to actually kind of dismantle some of them just in the last few days of this trial and looking forward to learning even more. Uh, we may be we may be done tomorrow for them. Oh, wow. That'd be incredible. Yeah, because I think I think this this trial's interesting for several reasons. But um, on video, you see Sullivan kind of amping up the, the crowd, it seemed like. And so um, I know a lot of people thought he was probably working with the government at some point. I know he did sell some of his footage. So there were those kind of uh, questionable situations. I mean, listen, the government hasn't been very transparent in most of this. And so it's, right, it's right. understandable why people would be a little doubtful. But the yeah. Ashley Babbitt footage really broke my heart because um, you know that her family wasn't aware. And sadly, I think I remember reading a quote that one of her loved ones learned that she had passed by seeing that footage playing on a news network. And uh, I know as a producer, we I would never want that footage being shown. Sure. Uh, you'd blur out the face, yeah. so you, you don't. But they didn't. Um, and it's just heartbreaking. Steve, I think it's fascinating that you're there and I'm looking forward to watching this trial conclude because I think it's going to answer a lot of questions if the jury in D.C. could possibly give a fair shake. But I mean, obviously, this is somebody who thinks like them too politically, so they might be a little bit more lenient on uh, on Mr. Sullivan. But we'll see. We'll see. I'm optimistic yeah. uh, that we might figure out if D.C. could actually uh, could actually have a producer jury that's not going to be biased. Uh, I look forward to reading your work, Steve, and thank you for joining us. Stay warm. It looks a little cold over there in D.C. It's a little colder here than it is probably in South Florida, but uh, it's not too bad. I won't rub it in your face, Steve. <laughs> thank, thank you for you. joining us, Steve. <laughs> and for our audience, you can head over to The Blaze right now and view his work. It's incredible. His writings are great, and I'd highly recommend it. Oh, well, let's be honest, right? Under Joe Biden, we've had plenty of economic woes Whoa! and uncertainties. Like many of you, I was getting a little nervous, so I turned to my dad for some advice. He's great at investing his money. He said there's only one thing to do, and that's to invest in gold and silver. I've never done it before, so I called our friend, Dr. Kirk Elliott. And I don't regret it at all because, let me tell you guys, he gave me all the details I needed. So if you're like me and you're just trying to get your foot in the door and kind of figure out what's the best way to invest your funds, I highly recommend and right now, you go to KirkElliottPhD.com slash Brianna. That's KirkElliottPhD.com slash Brianna. Or call 720-605-3900. That's 720-605-3900. After a long day of filming, I've got to somehow take off all this makeup, but make sure that I put the nutrients back into my skin that it desperately needs. So I found this new skincare line. I have to tell you all about it. Givaderm is all natural products. I use it twice a day, I use it in the morning, and I also use it before I go to bed. First up, we have this clay cleanser. This is amazing because it takes up all of your makeup. 
and it smells good too. Vitamin C is so important for brightening your skin. I also used to get super bad acne, and so it's helping, um, I guess, kind of like blending my acne scars a little bit so they're not so bright anymore. Here it is, it's the vitamin C serum. Just little pumps and put it on. And then don't forget your neck. Now moving on to step three, that is their Uplift Serum. You don't have to do that much. So many times I have like these high-end products and I'm clogging my pores and you can see it. It's literally always around here and around my nose area. But for some reason, maybe it's just because it's natural and it's not all that garbage chemicals that are into it. It seems to clear it up so well. Step four, it's the Bamboo Mist. It feels so amazing on your skin. I mean, you could literally name all these products that are in it. Definitely also like a cooling. And then this one, it's called Nourish. It's like this amazing cream, super light. You don't need that much of it. And always make sure you get under the eye area, not in your eyes. Givaderm has done miracles for my skin. I highly recommend it to everyone, men and women, because guess what happens if you don't take care of your skin? It looks like you're aging quicker than what you really are aging. Natural products, all made in the USA. They don't support any of the garbage that comes out of China. It's not gonna be found in your products. I promise you that. You have to get this product. Click down the link below. Givaderm is the product name and the promo code for 10% off right now is Brianna.